Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Samuel Adams Returns. Those anti-federalists, they predictively were correct and got it right. And this is Tom Novolis, your host. And yeah, this week we're back in the studio. We had a great time out there last week at Planted Flag in Medina, Ohio. Great patriots. Uh, I thought it was a really good time with the people that did join us on the program last week. Now, this week, uh, it's interesting in that folks at uh, Planted Flag and, and several others that have contacted me since were asking about all the different things that were going on, as well as, uh, hey, Tom, why is it that there's so many of the Patriot Christians, if you will, or a lot of Christians in general that aren't really taking a stand. And uh, several of the people were asking me, well, why is it that when we talk to them about different things, they, they go, and when we talk to them in particular, and this was the question, you know, when we talk to people uh, in particular about uh, the taxation that's going on, uh, all of the uh, proposed taxation by the Biden administration, what's happening even in Ohio or other states around taxation, as well as all of the government mandates in particular, which are a form of taxation upon our persons, because as we discussed last week, they destroy businesses. They destroy our private property and our intellectual property. So that's taxation in so many different ways. So why is it that we're not getting a Christian rebellion? Why is it that Christians just go along? Why is it that they go along to get along? And in that question, they came up and said, well, Tom, also, with that, when, when we ask people of that, when we ask fellow believers, when we ask pastors, we not only get you know, the standard Romans 13, which we've covered in other programs and given you multiple references for, but also what we're getting is this passage out of Matthew 22, and that's the title of the program is, Render Therefore Unto Caesar. What does that mean? What what was it and how was it that our founders did not find not just Romans 13, which we've talked about, but why did they not find the idea there in Matthew 22 and that whole question that Jesus answered when the coin was presented to him? You know, who, whose coin is it? What do you do with this, Jesus? And, and it was, he replied, Jesus replied, Render therefore unto Caesar the things which are Caesar's, and unto God the things that are God's. And it still seems as these gentlemen and ladies from last week, this past week in general, were making that query How is that justifiable in relationship to Christian resistance 
instead of what we're seeing is churches taking and just giving in, giving in to government, giving in to the system, giving in to taxation, which supports evil, taxation, which money is going to everything that is contrary to what they should believe is God's different direction. So from, ah, here we go. We're going to take this through and look at it from the perspective that our founders, two sides of the coin, when we just look now is that that taxation, that money, if you think about what I just inferred, that looks at the one side of the coin that goes to government funding all that is evil, all that is contrary to the full truth of God versus all that belongs to God and everything does belong to him. So what you have to do is definitely go back and you're going to have to definitely go to what's over my shoulder for those that are watching on Rumble or those that are listening to the podcast. You have to go to samueladamsreturns.net for this program's posting and dig into all the references, because I'm not going to cover them in here, nor am I going to put them into the video for you to find. Go to the site, samueladamsreturns.net, and read through where the live links are and all of that, because I can guarantee you that what I am saying is not just reading from all of the posting, reading what I wrote. This is my analysis of myself, as well as to give you a summary of everything that is there in those references. So let's cut to the chase, okay? Let's cut to the chase. And the honest chase of it is everything that I always talk about in relationship to the modern church is not living in the Great Awakening. It's not even living in the Reformation. And I don't know that I want to go back and necessarily live in all of the explosiveness of the the Reformation, but you know what? We are. We are doing so uh, in a worse scenario in, in many respects, when you go back and and study the Reformation and what was happening, then all of uh, the battles that went on at that time. One of the key articles that I have there for you to take a look at, first and foremost, and I expect you to go because I think it's a great historical work. Uh, It's part of another book that was uh, compiled, uh, and that um, is a section that's Calvin's Theology of Resistance. Now, I know that there are many of you out there that think that, especially those in just the basic Baptist churches, 
not the Reformed, and even in many of the Reformed Baptist churches, don't think that Calvin wrote about resistance to civil government. In fact, when you go and you read through what I am giving you in the PDF section broken out of a larger book, is that Calvin is the one that helps make that transition from the feudal system into what we now see as a true Christian biblical perspective of man in relationship to family, society, and political, governmental systems in general. And the first order of the whole intent in writings that you'll see in here is the fact that you're going to take and have to understand that if the leaders, those political leaders, those that you elect, those that you should be vetting, which you don't do, you need to vet the candidates. And when you're not vetting them, you do not know their true intent and personage and whether they are acting according to Calvin here, that God is their sovereign. You see, if God's not the sovereign of those that are in the higher offices, that those that you elect, those that end up being on the various boards, if they do not acknowledge that, then you don't get anything different than you do with the Pharisees, the Herodians, all of those that were asking that question of Jesus the time that he was alive. They're out to trap everyone. They're out to take and try and get you to bow down to Caesar by virtue of masking taxes, uh, where your money goes, what you take and participate in, uh, the whole idea of now as we're seeing by the statements of the female Jezebel governor of New York that, no, you have to bow down to her religion by getting vaxxed, her God, that is the salvation of the whole bureaucratic system to take and get vaccinated to be obedient to God. Now, that's not what God teaches. That's not biblically sound, but that is within the context, as you'll see in the writings and the references that I have at the blog site at samueladamsreturns.net, where these concepts are totally contrary to everything that is Reformation biblically sound. Now, you can go through this whole booklet, and I'll take you right back to the beginning of it. I'm going to maybe read some sections but this is John Calvin's Theology of Resistance by Michael R. Gilstrap. Very interesting. And where he starts in history is pretty much where we're getting to right now. When he starts off in the very beginning of this booklet, if you will, it's 38 pages long, it's in 1572, August 23rd, the day before the festival of St. Bartholomew. And here you have is 
Queen Mother Catherine de Medici. She was meeting with her advisors to plan the murder of the Huguenot leader, Admiral Coligny. And her son is none other than Emperor Charles IX. And they, you know, Charles IX, he's pretty passive around the Huguenots, the what? The Protestants there in France in particular. But his mother was able to convince him that the Huguenots and this admiral, the leader, were after his throne, and that they would support an uprising which would dethrone him, and his brother would become the king, the emperor, the Holy Roman Emperor, because you know, it was a plot. Well, his mother got him so convinced and riled up that uh, he told her to go do whatever deed she was going to do. <clears throat> Hence, on St. Bartholomew's Day, not only did they go after the admiral, thousands, thousands of Huguenots were killed, murdered, and it was all done because Catherine was in collusion with false leadership and wanted to absolutely destroy everything around Christianity from a Protestant perspective. So it was the St. Bartholomew's Day Massacre. Three to 5,000 Huguenots were murdered in one day in Paris alone. It then bled over, and uh, throughout the whole time, was about 300,000 people that were murdered on that day. So when we're looking at the calling of what's happening right now and that targeting of the unvaccinated, I'm not going to say that there's going to be another St. Bartholomew's massacre, but we're going to pick up in the next segment on what it is to take and look at those differences and then what Sam Adams had to say on the day he spoke about the Declaration of Independence. Come on back and we'll uh, dig in a little bit deeper when we look at the Anti-Federalists getting it right. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to this second segment of Samuel Adams Returns. Those Anti-Federalists, they were predictively absolutely right. And what I mean by that is in the context that what they wrote in relationship to what could happen with the Constitution of 87, their predictability is, yeah, spot on as far as every element of how government would subsume the states, the federal government would subsume the states, and in fact, single down to even your bathrooms, ladies, how much water you would use, gentlemen, your adult beverages, every aspect of life that government under 
the guise of the Constitution because of the ways that laws would come about would get into the littlest detail of your life. Now, when we take and we're trying to look at it then from that Christian perspective, if you will, I guess, a historical perspective, as we do look into the mirrors of history on this program, I have to refer you again to the website to look at what is there in the references at samueladamsreturns.net. When I finished off in the last segment, we were talking about the St. Bartholomew Day Massacre and what was happening with the Huguenots. Well, not that wasn't really the driver for uh, Calvin and, and all of those others of the Reformation period to take another look at the different positions on government. But it was increasingly important to take and help redefine things in general to which happened and what was necessary in the political thought in relationship to the Reformation. Now, one of the areas that I'm just going to focus on real quick, and what we're going to do is carry that over into what was happening again in America. This is a synopsis. This is just an overview so that when people or pastors are arguing not just Romans 13, but also what they're asking about in that, oh, look at where Jesus said we're to there, give therefore unto Caesar, or render therefore unto Caesar what is Caesar's. But what's Caesar's? What does that mean? What does he own? Does he own your moral integrity? Does Caesar determine your rights that are given by God, your natural rights? Does he determine that? And does he hold over you that which your moral conscience says otherwise to? And I do have a, a, a link in the program that it's necessary for you to listen to in relationship to uh, what does that mean and how does that work on your moral conscience? What is it of moral conscience? And uh, I know there's a lot of you who... Uh, take and look sideways at different things that I talk about in relationship to um, maybe Doug Wilson. But I'm telling you, the what he has done here uh, on his uh, presentation on humming a mighty fortress through your mask is absolutely spot on. In fact, I have uh, labeled it in the references as something that a pastor of the founding era may have spoken. And I do have some other references there from the Belcher Foundation of those pastors in the founding era. And that is critical to understand, because as we look at what Calvin was writing at that time, what was happening from that St. Bartholomew's massacre, and looking at those Reformation points of view on government, governance, and leadership. You know, I, I mentioned last week, I think it is in there in the references about Algernon Sidney, who lost his head for standing up against and arguing against the divine right of the king, 
because he determined that biblically, foundationally, and in every given right, government, kings, elected political people, and in fact, bureaucrats, Fauci and crew in your state, your bureaucrats, all the way down to your county level, your bureaucrats are not the agents of God if they are immoral or come after your God-given rights. Can I be more explicit about that? I don't think so. One of the areas that was absolutely key to understand is once again, fundamentally, the founding era was of that Puritan heritage. Did people go sideways during that 1600s landings, both in Virginia and then landing up in Massachusetts? Oh, yeah. You know, there were times there where they became extremely unreligious. They did really stupid things. And then it all depended who was governor at the time as well. And I like to refer to Governor Belcher because he was a solid Christian, a solid Puritan, and one that was a man that honored God, as I've talked about in other programs. But what was the firm foundation that all of those who are asking the question of render therefore unto Caesar, isn't that what we're supposed to do with our taxes and just everything? Aren't we supposed to just, you know, bow down to government? Well, obviously the answer is no, with God being what? The king and ruler of the whole creation, and Jesus being the king and ruler of the whole universe, as we've talked about in other programs, it comes down to this real simple fact. We do not, and those that speak that, oh, well, there's Matthew 22, we have to go with that. So if they're a pastor, or they are church leaders, or they are people in the church, believers within the context of the church that say Matthew 22 is their rationale, um, they don't understand our founders' era, nor do they understand the first great awakening in America. You see, that's what gave um, the impetus for the revolution. That's why I have links there for some of the sermons of the revolution and some of the sermons that were given prior to it, especially, again, off the, uh, the Belcher site. The important point to understand is that Sam Adams was sitting right in the middle of that. You heard me speak many times on this program that Sam was, what, had the moniker of the last Puritan. And it wasn't just because of the way he dressed, it was because of the way he lived, where the gospel was extensible, and he lived it. He lived the gospel in truth. He lived it in application. 
So if you're going to this Bible-only type of church, you're not getting the application where you need to live it in every aspect of your life. Now, that is what happened during the First Great Awakening. We don't have that in the majority of the churches. Uh, It's extremely interesting. But I want to also, in these last five minutes, is, is take you through... Uh, what I call here is a uh, COVID, a fool in his folly, in looking at a presentation that was given, or actually a sermon and teaching that was given back in the 70s by someone that a lot of people just shake their head at, but I think is amazing. And I want to read to you something that he wrote, because once again, in the 70s, this was written, but it is absolutely applicable to this very moment. And listen closely, because there's something here when you look at the health of the people is the highest law. The health of the people is the highest law. But see, this was from Roman legalism that said that the health of the people was the highest law. But then when we take and we look at the perversion here in the Constitution of the United States and the General Welfare Clause and how it's been perverted now, and that that is different than what was in the minds of the framers, what we have that was spoken of under the general welfare clause of that time, and what we're seeing being applied at our very present day is that that Roman principle is the health of the people is the highest law. So when we look at that, let's take a look here, and I'm going to quote, Before we look at this, and this is from a talk that is called The Negativism and the Law, which is in, again, the blog post at samueladamsreturns.net, I want to let you know that he even talks about defunding the police in here. He talks about defunding the police back in the 70s, and that was none other than the Black Panthers communist was running for what? President at the time. All right, let me jump on to these two things. Otherwise, uh, you're going to miss it, and I'm just going to be continuously talking on. So um, let's look at here. Let me get to the quote that I want to. So when the law has a positive function, it becomes the business of the state not to control evil, but to control all men. A positive conception of the law is basic to all totalitarianism. Moreover, this means that no area of liberty can exist for man. There is no area of things indifferent. Or to use the New Testament expression, which he kind of mumbled, of things that are not in the providence of law. All actions, thought, concerns, The state must govern in the name of public health. The health of the people is the highest law. And of course, the idea of an omnicompetent state, a totally competent state means an incompetent people. So when the state assumes a positive function, it means that the people are a negative factor. When the law is in Scripture is given a negative function, it is assumed that people are a positive force, and under positive law, 
the state becomes the nursemaid to childish, immature people who are not developed enough, not capable enough to take care of themselves. Now, at this point, people would say, well, of course, your Christian doctrine talks about people being sinners, and therefore it is in agreement with our opposition. Doesn't it say that all people are childish? Very definitely not. The doctrine of sin does not declare that all men are childish or immature. I'm going to skip on to the next paragraph in this last minute. At this point, it is instructive to understand what the Scripture means by the word a fool. I think since Proverbs teaches us most about fools, it would be worthwhile to examine a commentary on Proverbs and a summation of what the Proverbs teach concerning a fool. And I shall quote this at this point is that the root of his trouble is spiritual, not mental. He likes his folly, going back to it like a dog that returns to his vomit. He has no reverence of truth, preferring comfortable illusions. At the bottom, what he is rejecting is the fear of the Lord. It is this that constitutes him a fool, and this that makes his complacency tragic. For the careless ease of fools shall destroy him. In society, the fool is, in a word, a menace. At best, he wastes your time. You will not find a word of sense in him. And it goes on from there. Sam Adams knew about that, and we're going to get to his quote as well. And we'll talk about that in the next segment as we take and we look and conclude in the third segment all about Sam Adams returning and those anti-federalists getting it absolutely correct. Ladies and gentlemen, I want to welcome you back to this third segment of Samuel Adams Returns. The anti-federalists absolutely were correct in their predictive manner, and this is Tom Novolis, your host. Uh, Wrapping this up, as we finished off, I want you to go back. It's in there at SamuelAdamsReturns.net to go through... Uh, this whole talk that Dr. Rush Dooney uh, does. And uh, it's just amazing to me how uh, much he was predictive of at that time as well when we're looking at the law. And really what he's talking about, he's going through is the commandments. And this is just a portion in talking about the third commandment. Now, when we're looking at that, what I want to help you formulate in this last segment, in these last few minutes that we have together, is that it was the first great awakening that people all the way through, and you have to understand that during that period of time, even Ben Franklin was saying the change in Philadelphia, instead of Philadelphia being the destructive place that it is today, Philadelphia had its problems even in the 1700s, even though it was run by the Quakers. Now, Philadelphia during the Great Awakening, as Benjamin Franklin attested to, was where the people were walking through the streets singing gospel songs. They were singing psalms, singing the 
psalms. They were worshiping, walking through the streets. Wow. Not rap, not all this other junk, not heavy metal, not Christian rock and roll and all of that. No, it was psalms. Psalms. Interesting. What do we they they don't even sing psalms in most churches. I think the only place that Kath and I ever experienced in a church, in a congregation, where psalms were sung on every Sunday or a regular basis was at Christ Church in Idaho. I, you know, you go figure it out. So with that, uh, that is what was happening in the understanding of Calvin's perspective on government, all of the other reformers' perspective on government. There was the battles between like the Anabaptist and the Calvinist and then even Knox and, and what was happening with then uh, the Church of England and oh, what a mess, right? What a mess. Well, we have a mess today as well in all of the various denominations in what they're trying to think through. It becomes extremely interesting to see that we have that broad spectrum again of a ununified Christian body. Yeah, the, the, it's amazing. You know, the Bible says all the same stuff, but who's pilot high and deep? For those that un, don't understand that, but for you intellectual academics, that's what's called a PhD. So for all of the pastors and church leaders with pilot high and deeps, uh, they're onto their own thing. You see, they're not following the fundamentals of what is biblically sound during the founding era, that which took and brought together. I mean, you know, you, let's, let's just cut to the chase a little bit more. Let's, let's just jump over here to uh, one of the sermons during the founding era that was, uh, oh gosh, it was Abraham uh, Cateltus. He wrote a sermon, and it was really amazing. One of the areas that he really tried to drive into is the doctrines that were contained in both the Old and New Testament, and this was the, giving the impetus for the American Revolution. This was a preacher during that period of time, and where he fundamentally zeroed in on that we don't do today he goes this, by the cause of God, we are to understand. Now, this is not the cause of the God of the governor of New York, who is a Jezebel. Well, I, you know, she, she's into all the evil stuff, a Jezebel. But he's saying here, to understand the cause is the cause of universal righteousness. The moral law and the Ten Commandments is the rule of this righteousness, and besides the moral law, all those duties which are incumbent upon us as fallen creatures, such as the great duties of faith, repentance, and conversion, which imply the forsaking of every sin and the practice of every virtue. 
This righteousness includes whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are honest, lovely, and of good report. It includes a temper and a conduct entirely conformable to the truth revealed in the Holy Scriptures. This righteousness includes our duty to God, our fellow creature, and ourselves. It implies that we love God supremely, that we worship him in spirit and in truth with reverence and godly fear, that we submit with patience and resignation to all the strokes of his rod, not the government's rod, that we trust in his providence, rely on his mercies, goodness, truth, and other glorious perfections that we fear to offend him and strive to please him always endeavoring to obey his will and commandments. It implies benevolence, justice, charity, integrity, truth, and kindness in our conduct to our fellow creatures, that we love our neighbors as ourselves. And then he goes on, and he talks about more of what that means to implement. What does it mean to be prepared in such a way that we will honor and fight for liberty? Fight for those truths. There's another preacher, same time frame. Let's see, he spoke here um, and uh, in 1712, actually, and he spoke to the governor's council, God's sovereign government among the nations. You see, it was very purposefully intent from most of these sermons that we, the people, clearly understood, and the rulers, because when the Election Day sermons were preached, they were preached to the whole council, the whole bunch of those that were either elected or appointed as governor. And it, it became extremely clear that the pastors were looking these people in the eyes and telling them clearly that God is sovereign. He is the sovereign and that they are to obey him. And as we were listening in the other, is that they as individuals are supposed to act in that justice, not social justice, not some communist, socialist, Black Lives Matter, whatever you want to call uh, the, the, this whole other theory stuff for you pilot high and deeps, that is, is that it's not what you think. And it's not the corporatist, corporatism that is taking into rule our lives. Government is not designed to rule our lives. They are to what? Put down evil. I mean, that, that's really, when you look at what the limitations of the Constitution is, it's to take and establish so that we have that capacity to live honorably, to be able to live within the context of what we're talking about here. Well, there's a lot of other um, references that I have for you, and I know that the majority of you won't go and, and even take a moment to look at them. But I think that if you will go to those at the blog post for this program at samueladamsreturns.net 
and click on those that are at the beginning, you'll take and you'll get some of the basic fundamentals that, yeah, those are the, the few that I put embedded at the very top so that you will listen to what is being said because right now for the pastors, you know, for the folks that asked that question about rendering unto Caesar, what is Caesar's and rendering what unto God, what is God's, the bottom line in all the references is everything's God's. Everything, every creation, every aspect of the air you breathe, every molecule, every atom, every subatomic component. Remember, I do have a physics background. Everything that is time itself, the universe itself, is all God's. And everything is in his order. So when we give unto Caesar that which is Caesar, in our constitutional republic, and you have to understand this, so you had the Great Awakening that allowed us to then formulate the mechanisms within to define that righteousness, and if it was unrighteousness, to stand against that unrighteousness. So that became everything that brought us to the American Revolution or Restoration, if you will, because we were restoring America to the foundational principles by which England was supposed to be operating within. But because of corporatism of that time, or whatever you want to call it, and the not following the truths of the gospel of the, for the king and parliament and all of the bureaucratic leaders, America needed to break away. And we did it within that good conscious, within the striving towards righteousness. So once again, as you hear, Sam Adams as well as others, it was about taking and having a moral leadership. And you can't get a moral leadership unless you get right teaching in your churches. So let me leave you with this in the last couple of minutes. It's there at your blog post. And um, one of the things from Sam Adams' speech on the Declaration of Independence, he just flat out says, our forefathers threw off the yoke of popery and religion. For you is reserved the honor of leveling the popery of politics. They opened the Bible to all and maintain the capacity of every man to judge for himself in religion. We are sufficient for the comprehension of the sublimest spiritual truths and unequal to material and temporal ones. Heaven hath trusted us with the management of things, our feelings and experiences that will make us happy. You can discern, say they, objects distant and remote, but cannot perceive those within your grasp. Let us have the distribution of that present goods and cut out and manage as you please the interest of futurity. Sam Adams says, This day I trust the reign of political Protestantism will commence. We have explored 
the temple of royalty and found that the idol we have bowed down to has eyes which see not, ears that hear not our prayers, and a heart like nether millstone. We have this day restored the sovereign to whom alone all men ought to be obedient. He reigns in heaven, and with his propitious eye beholds his subjects, assuming that freedom of thought and dignity of self-direction which he bestowed on them from the rising to the setting sun, may his kingdom come. Sam Adams talks about more. Go to the website, samueladamsreturns.net. Read the blog post. Look at the references. Answering simply, Matthew 22, you know what? The majority of the preachers and the people that take and use that as an excuse to step away from evil and hold on to righteousness, they got bad theology, guys. That's the simple answer. But here's the program. Enjoy it. Get into those references and truths. And Sam Adams, he did. He got it right.